Good morning. Please open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're wrapping up a sermon series today about prayer, connecting with God. I really didn't intend necessarily for this to be the last sermon in the series. I had about eight or ten sermons mapped out, and then when I was going through them, I said, you know what, I think it would just kind of be redundant from the passages that I had picked out and the points that I had made. I actually included them in previous sermons, so I, um, so I went ahead and shortened it. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going, to be, uh, we're going to be starting a sermon series on Matthew. And we're not going to go through the whole book, um, some of the larger books of the Bible that I feel like it would take just forever. Uh, and I know that I know a pastor who went through the book of Luke, and it took him two years. Uh, and that's pretty exhausting uh, for him and even for the congregation. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the first four chapters, uh, not even the, the full fourth chapter of Matthew. We're going to do everything, sort of, everything from... Uh, heritage and birth up to um, the baptism, and after that we'll we'll quit and we'll move on to our our, our next series after that. Um, so anyway, be if you if you you're saying, hey, what should I read in the Bible? What should I be looking at? I would encourage you to read uh, the book of Matthew, especially those first four chapters, and say, okay, I've kind of got a little bit of an overview of what's uh, coming up next. In this series, we've uh, just to review a little bit. Uh, the, the first sermon was about who you're praying to, who are you praying to, and we looked at an Old Testament passage uh, where the Lord said, you know what, all that witchcraft, all that uh, divination, all that sorcery and everything, you need to put that aside. Um, the people of, uh, of Israel in the Old Testament, they were continuously tempted to worship idols, to bring all of their needs and everything to some other god. Uh, and in the New Testament era, it's not like we often worship other gods, but we often tend to trust other sources besides God. So the temptation is still there. When I have a problem, who do I take it to first? And Jesus wants exclusive rights to all of your wants, cares, needs, hurts, pains, thoughts, everything. He wants it all. He wants you to bring everything you've got to him first uh, because he can help you best. And if, if what you desire is not a good desire, he can help you work through those desires and, and sort of uh, take you in a different direction and say, instead of wanting that, how about this instead? It's much healthier. It's much better for you. So he wants everything. Uh, then in the next sermon, we, we talked about, hey, does prayer, does prayer even work? Uh, isn't God the sovereign of all the, the universe? Doesn't he control everything? Is it even possible for me to change God's will, change God's plan? And the idea is, eh, okay, yeah. Maybe you can't change the whole tapestry, but you can change a thread in the tapestry. Um, the, the best uh, way of visualizing it in my mind is that he is moving the universe, universe forward, the world forward, all of history forward in a very good direction, and he wants you to come push with him. He can push it all by himself. Don't worry. It's not like he really needs our help to keep pushing everything forward, but he invites us to participate. And when we participate... There is some kind of a change that we can affect. Yes, not everything, but something. You can be part of what God is doing. You can be part of moving with the mover of, of history. And then thirdly, what does God want us to know about prayer? How did, what does he, he's on the receiving end of all of our prayers. What does he want us to know? And what we learned was that he wants you to pray. He wants you to keep praying. He wants you to bring everything uh, for him. And there's this parable that Jesus told where 
uh, this guy comes and he knocks on his friend's door and says, hey, I've got some surprise visitors and I got to give them something to eat. Please give me something to eat. Uh, give me some food so I can feed them. And in this parable, the friend said, no, it's, it's late. I've already washed my feet and the door's locked. I'm not getting up at this hour of the night. And in that culture, that would not happen. You would lose that friend. They would be dead to you if somebody, if one of your friends treated you that way. And what God is saying is that even if one of your friends would act that way, I would never act that way. But even if your friends act that way, if you keep badgering them, they'll act that way. And I would never act that way. I would never refuse. But even if you think that that's what I'm doing, I want you to keep badgering me until, uh, until I give you an answer, an answer. And then last week, we talked about praying in private versus praying in public. And you are supposed to have a very public and a very private religious life. Your, 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 your religious life, your faith life, your walk with Jesus is a very private thing, just you and Jesus. But if nobody ever knew you were a Christian, then maybe your faith is a little too private. Uh, your faith is supposed to affect your life, your lifestyle, your speech, everything about you. So you need to have a public religious life, a public faith life. And how does that work out? In, in prayer especially, it means that when you talk to people, when you interact with people, you're not afraid to say, let's pray about that. We've just had a heavy conversation. Let's pray about that. Sounds like you've got a need. Let's pray about that. We're about to worship the Lord. We're about to study the Bible. Let's pray about it. And we have to get over the fear that we have uh, about praying in front of other people. Uh, I know that um, public speaking is one of those things that a lot of people a lot of people are very much afraid of. I remember several years ago, the great theologian Jerry Seinfeld was talking about how uh, death, death was number two on the list of people's greatest fears, and public speaking was number one. So what that meant was, if you're at a funeral, most people would rather be in the box than giving the eulogy. <laughs> Especially when you're with friends you got to work up your courage and say, this is a situation we ought to pray about. You're my friend. You're not going to make fun of me if I bobble in this prayer. So why not say, Here, here's you and me. We're friends. There's two of us. Why not invite a third? Why do you not, not invite the Lord in on this conversation, in on this need, in on this argument that we're having? And let's pray out loud together. If I make a mistake, you won't laugh at me, will you? No, of course not. Be bold. Be so bold as to say, I'm going to pray for you. I'll pray for you. In fact, I'll do it right now. I want to pray for you. Not later. I want to pray for you now. And uh, Jack, Jack is the one who gave our congregational prayer this morning. Um, he, uh, he, several years ago, he, he told me that he had a, an insight into something that Paul said. He said, I thank God for you every time I think of you. And so he started to uh, sort of be conscious of who, who came to his mind. Who did the Lord bring to his mind? And if the Lord brings somebody to your mind, I just stop and I pray for that person because maybe, maybe I'm just thinking about that. But maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you know such and such? Why don't you just stop and pray for them right now? Whenever somebody's on your heart, just stop and pray. Just stop and pray. And today we're going to talk about praying without ceasing. My goodness, if I, if I invite the Lord into every relationship that I've got, and if I talk to him every time somebody comes to mind, won't I be praying a lot? Isn't that a lot of prayer? Yes, it is. Actually, it's just one prayer per day. And how long does it last? From wake to sleep. All right? Just pray once a day, all day long. All right? All right. 
we can probably just end right there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I've got a whole bunch of verses up here. I'm going to read a whole bunch of verses, but the, the underlined verse, that's, that's all you really need to latch on to. This is at the end of the book of 1 Thessalonians. I, I really appreciate Paul's writings. He's, when he writes to a church, he, he writes to them, he encourages them, he talks to them, he restates the gospel, he works through all their theological issues, and then he gives them some practical application for all these theological issues. And then at the very end of his books, he just says, now, be a Christian. And he puts it in these kinds of words. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this day. Uh, help us, Lord, as we look at these verses and look especially at verse uh, 17 and just wrap our minds around praying without ceasing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Starting in verse 16, rejoice always. I love that. He, he says that in several, of his, uh, in, in several of his books. Rejoice always. These Christians in the first century, they had a lot to be sad about. They had a lot to be angry about. about. They had a lot to be scared about. And what does Paul say? Hey, I'm in prison, but <laughs> let's be joyful about it, all right? Hey, I'm, not, you're, I'm in prison, you're not in prison. Be joyful, rejoice. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. The church that I grew up in is called Rejoice Church. Um, rejoice always, pray, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, good circumstances, bad circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He had talked a lot about the second coming of the Lord in this book. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Um, pray continually. Pray without ceasing. What does that even look like? What does it look like to invite the Lord to walk with you in your entire daily life through all the things that you do? What do you do every single day? How do you start out every day? I heard a, a comedian one time saying that, what do you say? Or maybe it was a preacher trying to be a comedian. Uh, what do you say? Do you get up and say, good morning, Lord? Or do you get up and say, oh, good Lord, it's morning. Do you invite the Lord into your life day in and day out? He wants to be in your life. He wants to be in your life. Even if you feel like, my life's not very exciting. I just get up and do the same exact thing every single day. Why in the world would the God of all the universe really want to walk with me through all of the little things that I do every single day? Wouldn't he be bored? I know I'm bored. Why in the Lord would I want to invite the Lord into my life? It's a wreck but he wants to be in your life. How in the world is he going to transform your life if he's only a visitor once a week? How in the world is he going to give you joy every single day if you don't talk to him? Don't, don't, aren't there people in your life that give you great joy and you can't wait to talk to them every single day? The Lord wants to be that for you. He wants to be that person that gives you all that joy, all that peace, all that love, and all that transformation in your life. But it's not going to happen if you're not in constant contact and constant uh, communication with him. And uh, there's a person. There's a person that in Christian history, uh, and, and I'm sure there are several. Okay, Paul tells us pray without ceasing, pray continually. I'm sure he, he was practicing that himself, and I, I have no doubt all the other apostles and so many saints down through the years were really practicing that whole idea of praying without ceasing, of praying continually, of always being uh, consciously in contact with God. But there's one uh, one Christian person in the last 500 years that is quite well known for it. In fact. Uh, a book was written 
uh, about it, about him. His name was Nicholas Herman, all right? Uh, you probably never heard of Nicholas Herman. He grew up in eastern France in the year 1614, and he grew up in a very, uh, it was bad times in Europe, okay? A lot of black plague going through still. Uh, maybe the worst of the Middle Ages was over. It was Renaissance time, but there was still plague coming through every once in a while. But not just that, there were, there were religious wars. There were religious wars going on. The Protestant Reformation is about 100 years in here, and the clash of worldviews is really boiling over, and there's a lot of political turmoil. Uh, a lot of kingdoms of Europe that had been under the Holy Roman Empire, under this emperor, under the popes, uh, they're starting to rebel. They're starting to break away. And so the empire's fighting to hold itself together, and all the Protestants are fighting to, to break away. Uh, and in all of this, uh, Nicholas Herman is born. And he grows up, and he grows up in a not very um, uh, wealthy family, uh, and he grows up in a very loyally Catholic family. And so at a certain point in his youth, he joins the army. And he's in the army not very long before he's wounded in a battle. Uh, and so he's, he's no longer good as a soldier, so he goes back home. And he goes back home, and he's got a, uh, and I don't know exactly which leg it was, but he's got a, a wound in his leg. And it's one of those wounds that I have no doubt nowadays, there was probably some, there's probably some simple surgery we could do on it nowadays and give him some occupational therapy, and he'd be good as new. But in those days, wounds didn't heal right. Tendons and things like that didn't heal right. The uh, physical therapy and occupational therapy was, uh, were not a science at that point. So I have a feeling that just scar after scar after scar tissue uh, uh, built up until his leg is, is nearly useless. And so he got a job as a kind of a valet for a rich man. But a valet for a rich man, what do they do? They carry heavy stuff all day long. And guess what? He can't do very well. Carry anything and walk very well. He can't do any of those things. So he becomes pretty useless to the army, pretty useless to the, uh, the labor field very quickly. And so what does he do? What does he do? He, do? he does what all of us who are useless to the world do. He becomes clergy. I'm just kidding. He becomes clergy. And um, how many of you grew up Catholic? All right. He became a lay brother in a priory. For those of you who don't know what that is, like me, he became a monk or a monk type, okay? But he wasn't the high status of monk. He was a lower status of monk, okay? So he wasn't, the, he wasn't a monk monk. He wasn't a capital M monk. He was a lowercase m monk. I, now, I, I guess it took me a while. I didn't really realize that there were different kinds of monks. There were different kinds of nuns, different kinds of... I, knew, I guess I knew that there were different orders of things, but I have no idea what the difference between any of the orders are, and I didn't know that there were different ranks of monks, except that in any monastery there's going to be the chief monk, and then there's going to be the other monks. But uh, on the rung of the ladders of all the monks, he was there towards the bottom. He was there towards the bottom. Didn't have much education. Probably didn't read Latin all that well. Very important for clergy in the, in, in the Catholic Church to read Latin. He didn't have a whole lot of education. So they took him and, and made him a lay brother, and... Uh, what do the lay brothers do in, uh, in, the, monk, in, the, in the, the monasteries or the priors is what they're called? Uh, and he was in Paris. At least he was in a very good one. Uh, he, he was in a good one there in Paris. Uh, but they made him the dishwasher. Made him the dishwasher. Okay, that, is that about the, the lowest rung on the ladder? Okay, he's the dishwasher. Except that, what do you have to do when you're, stand, when you're, when you're washing dishes? You have to stand at the sink. And what does he not do very well? Stand. And he broke a lot of dishes. He's just not very good at even being a dishwasher. Goodness gracious, how low would you have to feel 
that you can't even wash dishes that well. You're not even getting respect from washing dishes. You're on the lowest rung, and the lowest rung is not even a good fit for you. So they give him somewhere else, and he goes to work in the sandal shop. And he's, okay, I, I learned a little bit when I was reading about him. He's, his order was called the, Disca, the, the Discalced Carmelites, the Discalced Carmelites, okay? All right, now you know everything you need to know, right? No, I don't know everything there is about being a, a Carmelite, but a Discalced order is an order that goes around barefoot, Okay, that's what they're called. They're any order of monk or nun that they basically go around barefoot or in sandals. They're called discalced. Everybody else, I guess, can wear shoes, but they have uh, taken such a life of poverty that we they they don't even wear shoes, uh, but they do wear sandals. They do wear some kind of simple sandal. Okay, so he's in the sandal shop. If you've got a whole monastery full of guys that only wear sandals, maybe it would be a good idea to have a sandal repair guy. Okay, so he repairs the sandals all day long. That's what he does. He sits in the sandal shop. And that's where he spent his entire life, basically. And yet, towards the end of his life, there was something about him that one of the higher-ranking monks said, I know that he's getting older. I know he's not going to uh, last much longer. He's had such an influence. There's something about this guy So much to the point, he's not going to write his own biography, but I need to write it for him. And if it wasn't for that guy, and I forgot his name, we wouldn't know anything about Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence, when when you take those vows and and you become a monk, you you take a different name. And so he took a different name, and he took the name uh, Lawrence. Not Not Father Lawrence, he's not a priest, he's not that high up, he's Brother Lawrence, a lay brother working in the sandal shop. But Brother Lawrence prayed continually, and the book that was written about him is called The Practice of the Presence of God. The Practice of the Presence of God. Everybody in the monastery or the prior realized we spend a lot of time being scribes. We spend a lot of time doing prayers. This guy, there's something that he does. He's just making sandals down there, and yet he seems to have a greater, stronger connection with God than the rest of us do. What's more, we see the evidence of it. People come to him. Other monks go to him when they have a problem, when they have a question, when they have a need. And not only that, people in town, in the city of Paris, they know Brother Lawrence. And they come to the sandal shop in the prior to talk and sit down and talk with Brother Lawrence. They don't want to talk to anybody else here. They come to this guy. What is it about this guy? And I don't know if you've ever known people like that, but there are people that they're so attractive, and maybe not in a physical sense, but there's something about them that's like, I could just talk to them all day. I want to talk to them. I want to see them. I want to hear their thoughts. I have a a problem. I have something on my heart. There's nobody else I'd rather talk to about it than this person. The organization that Susie and I worked with uh, in China had a woman named Renee. And Renee, uh, she could have just set up shop like this anywhere and just said, I'll just sit and talk to you. And there would be a continual line of, of people there who would want to just sit and talk to her. For some reason, she could just sit and 
She made you feel heard and she made you feel loved just by her saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you'd say some big thing happened in your life and she'd say, oh my word, okay? That's the thing that she says. It, it ought to be her password. It ought to be her, her, her license plate because when something amazing happens, she just says, oh my word, oh my word. She says it all the time. But she makes you feel like your life is so important and the things that are happening in your life are so important that you just want to tell her about your life. And I don't know if anybody ever asked her about her life, but I know that everybody wants to sit and talk with her. There's just something about her that everybody wants to talk to her. And she and her husband now, uh, they're, they're doing the perfect ministry. They are, uh, what do you call it, member care for missionaries. So they travel around the world meeting up with missionaries uh, to just talk with them and to encourage them. And She's perfect for that. They're perfect for that because anytime I've ever had a conversation with them, I walked away with more hope and love and joy and peace in my life than any other time. And what is it about those people? And I'll tell you, that I think what, well, what it was in Brother Lawrence and what it is in, in this couple that I'm talking about here is it's, I'm not attracted to them and I'm not attracted to Brother Lawrence. There's, there's a Jesus inside of them. The Holy Spirit is inside of them. God is inside of this person, and it's so obvious. Some people, uh, God is in their life. They're a believer. Obviously, they walk with Christ, but it's not so obvious. But everybody wanted to come to Jesus, and everybody wanted to come to Brother Lawrence because they saw Jesus in him. And he wasn't highly educated. It wasn't lofty speech. He didn't speak in, uh, in, in big words. Uh, he didn't even, uh, he, he may have just had a kind of a country bumpkin accent. He was a very earthy person. He was extremely approachable. And that was probably one of the things that was so attractive about him because in uh, a lot of churches or in a lot of denominations, a lot of movements, there's an incredible amount of clergy parishioner distance. I cannot approach that person. I can't, they're too high for me. They, you know, they, they, they dress in, in lofty things and they speak in lofty tones. And, and those people are just not very approachable. But then here's Brother, Brother Lawrence. He's just sitting down there praying, muttering to Jesus all day long, sewing his sandals. And everybody says, I'm not intimidated by this guy. I'm going to go talk to him. And after they sit and talk to him, it's incredible because it was just like they were talking to Jesus. Because the Jesus in his heart, the Jesus in his life, isn't deep below the surface. He is deep below the surface. but He's also just right under the surface. And when you're talking to Brother Lawrence, you could swear you're talking to Jesus instead. And that is what continual prayer will do for you. When you start sharing all of your thoughts with Jesus, guess what? Jesus starts sharing all of his thoughts with you. And as a result, you can have a ministry like you wouldn't believe. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, Wes, but he was a monk. It's different than, it's different than me, different than my life. I'm not a monk. I'm not any kind of clergy. I never went to Bible college or seminary or anything like that. I'm not that level of Christian. I'm not that caliber of Christian. And Brother uh, Lawrence would look at you and say, everyone is capable of these intimate uh, conversations with God. Everyone. Everyone. God, God doesn't look around and say, I'm going to give these people the special gifting, the special Christian life, the special dispensation of whatever. 
It's for all my people. What did he say in the book of Joel? In the last days, I'm going to pour out my, my spirit on all flesh. Every single person out there is going to have this kind of access to me. It's not closed off. Yeah, but with, I, I know what's going to happen. I know, even if I want to do this, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to try it out, and one of these days, it's going to be great, and I'm going, to, I'm going to pray continually all day long, and then the next day, I'm going to not pray at all. I'm going to com- completely forget, and then on the third day, I'm going to feel so bad that I didn't pray at all on the second day. And this whole practice, this whole idea, this whole notion of praying continually, inviting God into every single minute and second of my day, is just going to end up making me feel guilty. I'll bet that, because every other Christian discipline's that way. I don't even go to church as often as I should. I don't read the Bible as, as often as I should. I don't tithe or give in the offering or, or work in children's church or do anything as often as I should. So I know it all is probably just going to end up in guilt for me, isn't it? And Brother Lawrence would say, we must not be dis- distraught when, when we forget this holy practice, for all that is needed is to calmly take it up again. Maybe I wasn't very good at it today. I'll be better at it tomorrow. I'll try it again. Maybe I forgot all this morning, but in the afternoon, I said, oh, yeah. I finally listened to that nudging of the Holy Spirit, that little prompting, and that's when I started to get back on track with walking with Christ. No guilt. But, Wes, I know people like that. I know they're prayer warriors. They're prayer warriors. And I don't know this, but I'll bet Many prayer warriors hate being called prayer warriors. As if they're the only ones that can do this. And Brother Lawrence would say, We must work gently and lovingly with God, asking him to accept our work. And by this continual attention to God, we will crush the head of the devil and force the weapons from his hands. Because I promise you, you're a prayer warrior. When you pray. When you pray you are doing battle for the kingdom of God. No matter if you feel like it or not, any time that you enter into a time of prayer, guess what? You just became a prayer warrior because prayer is a kind of warfare. We're asking God to move and asking the devil to be thwarted every time we pray. We're asking for God's outcome, not the world's outcome, every time we pray. So when you pray, yes, you are a prayer warrior. What will it benefit me anyway, Wes? I don't know. I mean, I guess it's all good in theory, but what will it benefit me anyway? My, my life's busy. I, I'm already full of thoughts and actions and busyness. What, what will it benefit me if I, if I say, okay, I'm going to try to pray continually? What will it benefit me? Well, Brother Lawrence would say, when the habit is acquired, everything will be accomplished with delight. What do you hate doing the most? Do it with Christ. And it won't be so bad. I, I knew a guy, uh, and he hated washing dishes, except with his girlfriend. He loved washing dishes with his girlfriend. Why? Was it the dishes? Did the dishes change? No. Nope. The company changed. The company changed. I know you've got a lot of things that you do. And you probably think you do them all alone. You don't have to. You can invite Christ into everything that you do. Just like Brother Lawrence. This joy that you can have comes from a continual sense of God's presence with you. So you pray without ceasing. So when Brother Lawrence got up in the morning, he conversed with Jesus about how he slept. 
And when he was washing and dressing, he talked to Jesus about which brown robe he was going to wear today. When he was having breakfast, he, he talked to Jesus about which cereal he was going to have. They didn't have cereal, but I, they had something. I don't know what they ate for breakfast. They had something, but he, and maybe they had choices even. I don't know, probably not, in the, not for a monk. I don't know, but he, maybe if there was this piece of bread or that piece of bread, maybe he would talk to Jesus about which one of these pieces of bread am I going to have today. And then he went to the sandal shop, and he opened the door, and he talked to Jesus about how the key is just still not working very well. And he talked to Jesus about the cat or the mouse that lived in there, when, and he could, he could hear them when they were scurrying away. And then he talked to Jesus about the right foot sandal that he's working on that is just giving him fits. It's just not working out right. It's not, something about it is it, the leather's just not working like leather ought to work. It's just giving him fits. And then he talked to Jesus about the little boy who came in and talked to him because his family was yelling at him again today and he'd run away from home. He talked to Jesus about the needle that he was using and how it was really just about done. He was probably going to have to get a new one before too long. And he talked to Jesus about the baker down the street who was trying to arrange his daughter's wedding, but he really didn't like the family that the guy came from. Maybe the guy was okay, the family he had doubts about, I don't know. And then he talked to Jesus about the left foot sandal that he was working on. That worked out perfectly, better than new. And then he talked to Jesus about the woman down the street who had a pain in her side, and he just knew it was probably cancer, and she was going to uh, become very, very sick from it. He talked to Jesus about the pain in his own leg that was getting better. He talked to Jesus about the monk who was cooking dinner tonight and asking Jesus to make the food better than last time. He talked to Jesus about the milkman whose mule was limping. He talked to Jesus about his laundry. He talked to Jesus about the little girl who lost her doll. He talked to Jesus about the family down the street who recently buried the patriarch of the family. He talked to Jesus about the head monk in the monastery who had a cold that he was trying to get over. And he talked to Jesus about the rain that was starting to fall. He talked to Jesus about everything. And the joy just comes up in his life. And I know you may think that your life isn't that special. You probably have more going on than a sandal maker. You probably at least get in a car once a week and travel two or three miles away. And in a, in a society, in a time when people didn't have cars and they didn't necessarily have uh, business very far away, I have a feeling that, you know, most people live and die within three or four square miles. I mean, especially at that time. I knew a, some, an old woman, uh, I knew a student in China whose grandmother lived about 20 miles from one of the greatest cities in the ancient world. It's called Xi'an. It's where the terracotta warriors are, if you've ever heard of those. It, it was an amazing city, a walled city like Jericho. And her grandmother lived and grew up and died about 20 miles away and never went to that city. Maybe never even left that village. Your life is exciting. You are quite the cosmopolitan world traveler, probably no matter who you are, if you've left the state of Maine. And so if you think your life is mundane, think about this guy. His life was mundane. But his life was filled with the joy of knowing that God was present with him in absolutely everything. So here's my challenge for you. We're going to take a moment and we're going to pray. And I want you to think about what you're going to do all this week. What are you going to do this afternoon? 
rest. I don't know that I want to lay down. The most comfortable place for me right now is probably in my car with the air conditioner on. Probably the same thing for you. Have you gone to Walmart just because you know it's an air-conditioned place? All right. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know if you're going to rest today. I don't know if you're going to mow tomorrow. Mowing, that's pretty mundane. Are you going to do laundry? Laundry's pretty mundane. But maybe you're going to grill at some point this week, and that's, that's exciting to you. Maybe you're going to read uh, the next chapter in the book that you're reading. Maybe you're going to have a backyard party. Maybe you're going to go visit your mom. I don't know what you're going to do this week. Think about your day. Think about every task that you've got. And we're going to spend a moment, in, uh, and I want you to just ask Jesus to come with you in all of these tasks. Think about the most mundane things that you, even things that you know that you don't want to do. And I want you to say, Lord, come do that task with me this time. And we'll talk about something. You know, when you're doing especially mundane things, you can do one thing and think about another. And you might be able to feel the joy of the Lord while you do it. I'm going to give you a moment. I'm going to give you a moment. And I want you to think about your week. Don't, don't look up here at the screen. I want you to think about your week, what's coming up. And I want you to invite the Lord Jesus to walk with you through every task, whether mundane or big, throughout this week. Okay? Go. I'll give you, I'll give you a whole minute. Dear Lord, come walk with us this week. Lord, come wait tables with us. Come treat patients with us. Lord, come fill out paperwork with us. Lord, drive with us today. Lord, do laundry with us this week. Mow the lawn with us this week. Stack firewood with us this week. Lord, watch TV with me. Lord, write this birthday card with me. Lord, come to the doctors with me. Lord, come help me organize my office, my attic, my shed. Do that with me. Lord, help me uh, interact with me. with my co- Don't just help me. Interact with me with my co-workers. Lord, come grill with me. Lord, come do dishes with me. Lord, repair this broken appliance with me. Lord, you're a carpenter. Come build with me. Lord, we invite you into our lives every day, every exciting thing, every mundane thing. Help us to have conscious awareness of your presence with us. And Lord, help us to see how transforming it is when we do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you are dismissed.